Splash 322 for throwing fire. We're keeping it there's no doubt that the game has changed and we are changing with it welcome to season two because in this season it is all about how we become and stay operational how we're ready for every moment of our life on and off the job i'm your host jeff fanman Thanks for joining me, and let's get down to it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Brute Force Training. Head over and check out the guys at BruteForceTraining.com, the sandbags, the gear, the equipment, the things that they offer, and of course, make sure you download the Brute Force app because it has got some unbelievable programming in there absolutely for free. And listen, when you pick up your next sandbag or your next shirt or your next pack, or whatever it is you're going to buy from these guys, use my discount code. That's op mindset, OP mindset, and they'll take a little bit off the top for you. Get in, get in action, get your sandbag, get your butt in the game, start working out, let that thing beat the crap out of you. Thanks for sponsoring us, guys. That's brutefortraining.com, brutefortraining.com. Now, on to today's episode. All right, welcome back to Mindset Radio. This is your Wednesday episode. If this is your first time tuning in, thanks so much for listening. This week, our primary topic is awareness. And my guest today really understands the critical nature of what that means. So Michael Trott, respected and accomplished international security and intelligence professional with over 30 years of combined military, time with the CIA, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, excuse me, and private sector experience. Listen, he's worked for corporations, ultra high net worth individuals and their families. He's traveled and operated over 90 countries and lived abroad for more than a decade. Michael's new book, The Protected, nonfiction about the real world of executive protection, what it takes, what it looks like, the human complexities that are involved, the behavioral patterns that are involved, and most importantly, how you create that mindset for that specific task. It break down, breaks down the what, the how, the when, the where, but mainly focuses on the why and gets into addressing the issues the protectees deal with day in and day out. Michael, thank you for joining me today. I greatly appreciate it, sir. Jeff, thanks you. Thank you for inviting me to the uh, mindset conversation. Uh... You and I have talked about this topic a few times over the years, and I'm excited to talk about it today, as I feel it's a critical part of life, not just uh, work life, but uh, our personal life. And so I look forward to, to talking to you about it and hearing your thoughts as well. Uh, you have a lot of a lot of information that, that can help us all. So let's yeah, get Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's always an interesting thing, right? I mean, we, we kind of mindset as a word has kind of been thrown around for so many years, labeled as something. Uh, you know, you got to have the millionaire mindset, you got to have a combat mindset, you got to have this, you got to have that. Uh, and I think for me, kind of my anchor years ago, back at the agency became, how do I operate in every condition, you know, under whatever circumstances I need to do that? That's sometimes that's combat. Sometimes that's not, sometimes that's running a protective detail. Sometimes that's negotiating hostage release or you know, a business deal or whatever it may be. And so how do I create this operating environment that really works? And then how do I come home, set that aside? I know we're going to talk about that today as one of your key things, like the mindset that works for you in the field is not the mindset you need when you come home. And, you know, you've had a really cool uh, lifespan, a really cool set of experiences. You've gotten to work with some amazing people I know uh, over time. And so let's talk, let's dig into this world of protection. I mean, that's your world, right? And where do you see, like, what have you learned when it comes to performance, mindset, ability, and really the theme topic of the week is this, this idea of awareness, you know, that, that runs so deep in so many situations. Uh, and to me, it would be at the top of the game, in my opinion, if you're going to take on being a uh, executive protection individual, right? If you're going to work in that field. Mm -hmm. 
No, absolutely, Jeff. You know, when I was thinking about writing a book about six, seven years ago, I started to make notes. The topic, situation, awareness, and mindset just kept coming up. I can look back at all my notes and I keep seeing mindset and situation awareness. So it's definitely a hot topic and it's one of the most important parts, one of the most important parts of any level of close protection, executive protection, bodyguard work. Because it is about your, your total area situation awareness and it changes. It changes from location to location, uh, environment to environment, situations. So there's there's a control mechanism to that. And, you know, sometimes we're not taught that. Um, I can remember being in the military, and you probably can remember this, that, you know, we would be engaged in some sort of tactical activity and maybe not doing well, and a, a squad leader or instructor or commander could come up and, you know, pardon my French, but say, you know, you better get your head out of your ass yeah, uh, and get your, get your right mindset on. And, uh, you know, you think about that as a young individual or maybe even as an older individual, and you go, okay, you know, 10-4, we got that, Roger, let's go. And then you go, okay, what is the right mindset? How do I get there? And what does that look like? And I don't think we're really trained for that. Um, it's probably changed over the last many years. And you and I talked about this probably, I can't remember the first time, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten years ago when we were doing some work together um, overseas. But, uh, you know, the mindset conditioning combined with human performance, those two elements go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you can talk more about that than I can when, talk about breathing and, you know, we talk about getting tunnel vision that's usually connected to breathing um, and, and heart rate, and those kinds of things. So it's all connected together, but you're right. When you get into close protection, you have a, sometimes a split second to react and you better have the right mindset. And uh, even before you have the right mindset, you better be aware of your situation. So they do go hand in hand. So, uh, no, you're absolutely right. That's one of the reasons in the book, I think I, I say mindset 50 times. Yeah, you, you sent me a note. You were like, I think I, I think I, you know, you went back through and like did a word count or something. Yeah, exactly. with it. You were like, yeah, like without even realizing that 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 came up, you know, it was it was interesting having that conversation that you're like, I didn't really realize how much of that was in there. And I think that becomes I think that becomes ingrained over time. And it is a it is a hard skill to teach. Mm -hmm. It is not generally taught very well you know in a lot of conditions it's you know generally done in a death by powerpoint and are you consciously conscious are you unconsciously conscious are you asleep in the fucking classroom right. like what are you you know what i mean and right, right and you know you go back to jeff cooper right i mean who godfather of this world who really kind of began to introduce heart rate and kind of conditioning right the with his with cooper's colors mm -hmm. forever ago uh and started kind of a lot of this stuff on the right path so, you know, always give the homage back to those guys who did the best with the data that they had at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, you're right. I don't feel like it's necessarily progressed. The The coursework or the learning around it is kind of left to you to develop as an individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so when did you, when did you start at the agency? When did, how long? Remind me again. Uh, we're going back to probably 96 is when I entered the agency after 10 years of the Air Force. Um, okay. And the Air Force, that's, you know, I spent my entire time as a, in a security forces, as a security specialist. Um, tend to get bored easy. Uh, so just yeah. a reg regular duty just wasn't enough for me. So I, you know, would, would compete in different competitions, uh, tactical and shooting competitions. And then once I, I think it probably 1984, 586, I got reassigned from statesides to Germany, uh, Ramstein Air Base, and spent six years there. Ramstein was probably where it all started for me, uh, both tactically. I was a, was a ground combat instructor, uh, special weapons and tactics instructor and team leader. Then I eventually got into um, um, the EP world, if you will, as a train driver. Um, and this is back, you know, when Red Army Faction and other terrorist group we're really rocking and rolling in Europe at that yeah. time. And our particular principal had a threat as well from the Red Army faction. So he took it serious. Um, and so to your point, situation awareness has always been part of sort of uh, my training and um, survival skill, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. So it's always been a fascinating topic. But again, the more we talk about it, I never stop learning. I mean, I guarantee you when we finish this uh, podcast today, I'll take away with other notes that, uh, to think about in terms of methodology or, or 
practices and standards and how to get there, how to arrive. Um, you know, I know, you know, as a, you probably remember as a, as a former ranger, you're, um, you know, the operational color that was associated with combat or hostile readiness. And I may get this wrong or not totally correct, but it was a uh, white, yellow, red, and black, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that state of mind, your, your situational awareness. White was you're in a calm state and you're resting, you're tuned out, sort of in a safe environment. Yep. Yellow was a, a period you were increased readiness on alert, uh, preparing for some sort of action. Maybe you don't know exactly what it is, but you're ready for something. Red, uh, it's on. You know, you're it's on. Yep. You're, yeah. <laughs> it's on like Donkey Kong. Yeah, it's on go. like Donkey Kong. Yep. You're in the middle of it, you're in the thick of it, you're in a fight, uh, a fight or flight situation. And then uh, black, you know, you're, you're tapped out for some reason. You're yep. injured, you're stressed, fatigued, uh, or you may be dead. Uh, whatever the case is, you're not responding. So that that color code, if you will, that has always been in mind in the back of my mind to sort of help me to where I need to be at any particular time because you can't be in the red all the time. Yeah, uh, you can't even be in the yellow all the time. Uh, I remember after nine eleven, we were, you know, when I was on the director's protective detail. Um, at the CIA, you know, we were constantly waiting for another attack. And some of these, some of our intel reports were, you know, we could be attacked at any given time, even our principals. So we were in this state of red readiness all the time. And you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unrealistic. So, you know, when you do have to be in an area or in a zone for an extended period of time, how do you do that? That's another question. Um, Chuck Randolph and I, uh, Chuck from Microsoft, had this conversation recently as well. Is how do you, how do you have that balance between being always ready and then sort of, uh, you know, coming down from that into a personal life? Uh, but anyway, fascinating but very important. Yeah, and, no, uh, I think that's that is. But see, you're hitting something on the head. I can remember traveling with Jerry Parr, uh, and you know, Jerry would talk about like the exhaustion, the the balance between hypervigilance, hypovigilance, how you had to ebb and flow over the course of your work day, how you had to kind of rely on the team, you know, because if you tried to keep yourself in that on condition, like you said, like in that yellow zone for an extended period of time, you're, you're, you're exhausting your system. You're actually losing. Yeah. You will, you're, you know, you will hit the diminishing return point and, mm-hmm. and then you will be of no value. And that could be a couple hours in your shift. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, how did you find, what, what were the tips and tricks you did if you were, you know, you're on because your, your shift works, your shift work, you know, eight mm-hmm. hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, whatever it may be, depending on height and time, you may be in overtime, you may be, mm-hmm. you know, rocking and rolling. What were some of the things you learned to do to kind of keep yourself in the condition you needed to be in, but also kind of give the re- the ebb and flow, if you will, of the job. Yeah, I think it comes down to individual preference, but the point is you got to break, you got to get away. Um, and for us, maybe at the agency, you know, it was gym time. You know, if you if you knew the 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 director or the principal was was in the building, if you will, and in a safe environment, you could feel safe. Then you know, everybody takes turns and takes a break. You. Uh, you know, you hit the gym for 30 minutes to an hour and get a good workout in and, you know, get your cardio in and get back in and, you know, get reset. Um, for some people, if it's not a gym, but you may be going somewhere and just, you know, decompressing, reading a book or having a conversation over a cup of coffee. But the point is you got to get away from the immediate area. If you're, you know, we had a, a little room called a bullpen and all the agents would hang out and get ready for the next movement. And if you're in that room with 10, 12, you know, men and women are sort of in the same mindset and everybody's in that yellow, you're just feeding off the energy of everyone. And um, again, you don't get a chance to just decompress. So it's taking a walk. Um, I know a lot of our guys would just get out of the building and take a walk around the compound. Yeah. Uh, Whatever it is, but you got to break away. You got to mentally, I think, and physically get away from that environment. Um, My son has been in and out of the the hot spots for quite some time and even recent conversations we were talking about that sometimes when you're in a compound or fob there's just not too many places you can go so no no uh, sometimes you just got to get out of it in your head you know you mm-hmm. have to put the headset on listen to some music and just get yourself somewhere else uh, so whatever works for you but you got to take a break and you got to break away yeah i talked to uh i talked to a cop in mississippi one time got some friends out there and he and his partner had a rule that at lunch or whatever meal, whatever the meal time was, they would go in and sit down and 
they one would sit with their back to the wall, right? Pick the corner. Uh, but but the other guy would sit with his back to everyone. Right. And you know, the one guy with his back against the wall, it, he was on. He was still on. Right. And they would take, you know, they would set out a, a time and then they would switch and they would give each other an actual time to breathe and relax and not be, not have that heightened hypervigilant sense, always looking what's coming next, you know, who should walking in the door, what's underneath that guy's jacket. You know what I mean? Like that, because it runs. If you're in this world, that shit just works. It's your <laughs> you know job. what I mean? It's your job too. Yeah. You can't, it, it's, it is, it is hard. Once it, once it's, it's a, you know, that's why I talk about the difference between a volume knob and a light switch. Cause mm -hmm. most, for most of us throughout our careers until we finally learned better, or we just exhausted the shit out of ourselves, treated it like a light switch. I'm either on or I'm off. Mm -hmm. And, and it's hard to turn it off. Very hard to turn it off. No, it is. And I think as, you know, in this particular segment, for, if we're talking about EP and, you know, security, yeah. security professionals in general, we, we see the world through a different lens. We have to. And mm -hmm. that lens is not always pretty. Um, and even my wife and I talk about this sometimes because, uh, you know, even in my current job, I'm always looking at the risks. You know, we see things from a risk, threat and vulnerability perspective, and it's freaking exhausting. Yeah. Um, so when your mind is always in that zone, you've got to find a place to get out of it. Um, you know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have is, you know, going back and forth between the the high risk environments or the high risk thoughts to just having a normal, um, you know, environment or normal, normal conversation or normal uh, situation where you're not concerned about those threats and risk. And that's probably the toughest part. And it's not just EP securities, it's doctors and pilots. And uh, yeah. If you, yeah. If you live in the, if you live in the world, the world of, you know, crap like mm -hmm. that and realize and know what can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard. It's very hard to, to separate yourself from that. But I think you said something earlier that, that sort of rings true with me. You have to know where that switch is mm -hmm. and you have to be able to switch, switch it on. And, um, you know, when you look at the theory of fight and fight or flight as humans, not everyone seems to have the natural ability to make that best decision when, when necessary, but we can be trained, I think, and conditioned to react better, yes. uh, you know, with the proper mindset and, and the attitude in a given situation, but it does take training. And, you know, I say this quite a bit just because I was a former military instructor as well. I think training is a big part of it. Uh -huh. uh, I know myself going through various courses and training courses, some of the most dynamic courses I've been through, and you mentioned Jerry Parr, um, you know, when you go through courses and you listen to individuals like that, tell the stories that they, they can tell, you, you get there, you're visually there. Um, and sometimes um, it's a matter of being able to see it, feel it, touch it. And as an instructor, I used to try to bring as much of the human aspect into your you know, your, your breathing, your, your sight, your hearing, your smell, all those factors into teaching. Because I think when all of those are together, you never know when that's going to be sparked. You may yes. be in a situation where you smell something or you hear something and your mindset or your situation awareness begins to kick in. Because I remember hearing this click. It could be the AK-47 click or it's the click of a safety or it's mm -hmm. a pop of something that you hear. You go, no, that was a. That was a backfire of a vehicle. That was not a, an AK or whatever that may be. Right. So all of those factors are very important. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be, you've got to be able to tune in and really key in on all those factors. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, that's, uh, it's such a, it's a developed skill clearly, right? Because I think when you start out, you're, you're kind of pinging on everything. You know, what was that? What was that? You know, it's like the new guy comes to the team and you're like, okay you can breathe and settle down. It's fine. You know, <laughs> right, it's a, right. it was a backfire, not a gunshot, you know, right. uh, you'll, you'll learn the difference. Yeah. Uh, and that is hard to train, but I also, I I'm right with you. So I want to definitely agree with you in the sense that training done well, training mm -hmm. that engages the emotional core of our, you know, humanness is what kind of plants and seeds everything deeply you know for me it's all about biology you know mindset and the fluttering of thoughts is just kind of you know your thoughts are nine times out of ten bullshit right, right when you're talking to yourself 
So really it's more about how do I build this biological function that operates at a higher level that gets me tuned in, you know, and creates this invisible radar, lets me ping off the things that are going on in around me and in the world so that I can then adjust myself in those conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It goes back to, you know, again, you talk about the mindset, the preparation and that training, you know, it, it frustrates me when people uh, who don't know what they need uh, or what they want or their response to be in a given situation. So they're not physically, they haven't mentally gone there yet, mm. but they get surprised or they're upset when it doesn't work out in their favor. I, I don't get that. Um, you know, if you don't know what you need or why, you know, why would you be surprised when it doesn't work out for you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I do address that a little bit in the book as well. You know, our physical skills are obviously very important. Uh, but perhaps equally, if not more important, is the mindset and the, the mental preparedness skill set, um, especially as close protection officers or, again, any first responder. Um, you know, as you know, you don't get the opportunity to take a time out uh, during a situation <laughs> and go, okay. Hey, do me a favor. Stop shooting at me yeah, for a for second. A second. I, need, yes. I need to take a break. Hold on. Time out. Just for a second. I have my stress uh, card flying right now. I'm uh, a little bit maxed. I need a minute. You remember that as well. <laughs> yeah. they, they came in. I think like right after I got out or whatever, I mean, or there was some, I think we heard rumblings of when I was in basic of some other unit, right. That had, they were testing them out or something. I can get, promise you <laughs> with, with Donahue, with drill sergeant Donahue out of first range of time and a few others, we did not have stress guards. And if we had them, we would have had them squarely planted right up our asses. No, uh, I, w I was at the security forces uh, Academy as an instructor in 94, 95. And, I may get some hate mail on this, but I, I think the Marine Corps was the first one to come out Ooh. with it. Basically. <laughs> I do, because it, it worked at the Air Force, and I, you know, we had some Army guys as well. And, and I don't think it was the Army, but it was it was a trial. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, you know, as, as a student to pull out that um, that um, you know timeout card, you know, obviously it didn't last long. Whoever had it, right? Uh, but because uh, it doesn't work, it's just no. the wrong. It's the wrong thing. It's the wrong training mindset. It's like you know, taking the rounds from your gun and putting the the, the expense shells in your pocket. You know, right. Right. Yeah. Either, back to the know? Miami shooting. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. Guys are, guys are dead with a pocket full of pocket full of casings. Makes no sense. So it is about the way you train, but uh, anyway, yeah, I do again, address some of those things in the book and it may sound simple, but sometimes uh, you have to visualize it to see it. Yeah. And I, you know, the two don't go hand in hand. The two go hand in hand, but they're not always applied. Um, but when your reaction time is uh, is normally better and you can save lives, you know, or your own life, if you can visualize a situation, um, you know, I'm sure you remember too, as a, as a ranger, you having your, uh, you would rehearse patrols and rehearse assaults and you had your five point contingency plan in place. Uh, all of those things that, you know, prepared your mindset. And you know, if you go back to the SEALs when they you know, conducted the assault on Bin Laden's compound, which is a high-profile event, you know they yeah. pra they practice and rehearse their movements, you know, for days before they got a chance uh, to actually get the compound on a on a identical identical mock village, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. so they could visualize when it came to the execution. And when that happens, you have a higher degree of success. And that's not just in tactical; you know, that could be your it's everywhere your relationship with your spouse, your kids. You, if you can. If you can see it and kind of walk through it, if you will, and rehearse, um, usually, usually it works out a little bit better for you. Yeah, as a 16-year-old kid in the firehouse, I had no idea what I was doing were actually significant and clear visualization practices in mental rehearsals. I figured I was just dreaming of going to a great working fire, right? <laughs> but, but I would do it in such detail, right? And this is this goes back to my statement of do it before you have to. Yeah. And if you can't do it physically do it mentally, right? Run, you have like the brain is the, the you know, Xbox 360 has got nothing on mm -hmm. your visual mental rehearsal capacities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would, I, I always encourage guys, you take one experience and then multiply the crap out of it, you know, in the firehouse, if you run an EMS call, Brad, what if that house was on fire? You now you've got some of the fundamentals you need. You've got layout, you've got furniture placement, you've got, you know, contents, you understand mm -hmm. things. Now, mm -hmm start laying over versions of mm -hmm. that incident, you know, sure. no different than walking a protectee or, you know, running a protective op or running a protective surveillance op or doing mm -hmm. some of those things. It's like understanding your route analysis, visualizing, you know, 
what's going to happen if uh, you know you experience an attack you know well in movement what are you going to do what are the roles and running that over and over in your head man i'm with you like if you're not visualizing it, it's the 21st century if you're not doing that like wake up 1980 wants its tv back like get in the game uh, because it is and it's a and the cool thing i think about the brain is you know if you deep like you talked about go back to training where you're talking about engaging the senses so if I visualize at a level where I'm actually able to engage my senses and feel it viscerally in my body, mm -hmm. the brain doesn't know whether that happened or not. Right, right. Right, you're gonna react to a situation in similar patterning, in similar fashion. The brain's gonna be like, okay, I know what I need to do here. Oh, and good. you know, you may not get it exactly right. It may not get you know, nothing. <laughs> I think I've only looked cool for about 3.2 seconds in the last 45 years, right? Everything was a clusterfuck, but it worked. Yeah, no, that's, you know, we have the AOPs we do, you know, the attack yep. on principle drills. And that's for that exact reason. And anybody that's listened to this that's in the uh, close protection world uh, has conducted hopefully thousands of AOPs. And yes. I remember doing it one time at the agency with, um, we actually had the deputy director, uh, four-star general uh, Gordon and uh, Buzzy Krongard, who was, I think, the executive director at the time. And yep. some people will know that name. Um, they came out to us and we went down south to our training location. And we did a tackle principles and we had uh, the CAT team was with us. We had live fire uh, demolitions. And, you know, I remember one ex exercise, uh, I was in a hot seat and we, we drive into a, an attack and uh, our car is down and we got to transfer, you know, the um, the director or the deputy director from the primary limo to the back limo. And, you know, you do the typical thing. I'm over the back of the seat or over the front of the seat and covering him and waiting for the orders to bring him out. And there's a cat team and the follow car moves up and gets into position. And we uh, open up the back door and, <laughs> and General Gordon took off running like a, like a stallion <laughs> to get to the stable, you know, yeah. and he's a big guy. And it was, it was kind of funny, but not, and it was everything right. I could do. And my hands was already on the back of his belt, but he was dragging me cause he's you know, a big guy. And, and the fear factor was there. I mean, we had explosions and live yep. fire and, and that was a good example of, okay, you better have a good grip on that guy. You know, whoever he is, your, your principal in that kind of situation. And that's why we teach that, you know, you grab, you grab clothes, you grab body parts, whatever it is, but you can't let them get away because they will run. Um, and you're trying to get them to safety. But it was a great exercise, and we, we did it all the time. And, you know, by the end of the day, you know, the guys were filthy and they're muddy and, you know, we're you know, telling good stories. But it was a, 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 to your point, it was something you felt, you touched, you saw, you heard, and, and you react faster. Um, and that visual, you just can't take away how important the visual aspect is. If I said to you, um, do you remember the motorcade attack in the movie uh, Clear and Present Danger? Oh, yeah. Tom Clancy. Mm -hmm. So that is a, you know, that's probably the, an EP details worst nightmare is having that scenario. And I remember we were, um, it was with the CIA, it was a CIA director and we were in a foreign country and we were, we were in a particular territory for meetings and well after midnight. And as we were leaving a compound, um, in a rather tense period of time in this particular territory, and not necessarily that friendly to the CIA. Right. Uh, we were making our way through the dusty, narrow back streets and under complete darkness because territory is extremely poor and they don't have any street lights or major city lights going anywhere. <laughs> but uh, so we're about 45 minutes away from a, a neighboring country where we would stay, but um, about halfway or a halfway point, we would enter a small village uh, with tight roads uh, in between the buildings. And you, know, you may have a a donkey cart, you know, going by or kids on the street and even at late at night. And it's just very complicated and very, uh, very scary, to be honest, when you're, when you have a principal that high of a profile and yeah. in, in a country that's, uh, uh, maybe has, has other ideas, uh, for your principal. But, um, but it's always like a scene from that movie going to that location. I've been to that zone a few times. Um, but, um, you know, as a motorcade would get close to that particular area, our lead vehicle or our scouts, if you will, they would, you know, holler out their radio that we're getting ready to hit the checkpoint uh, CPD, which is clear and present danger. So when you hit, when you hear CPD or you hear the term clear and present danger, you immediately get that visual of what that scene looked up, looked like in the movie and how they, uh -huh. you know, barricaded them out and, you know, how they had to get out of there. But, um, but it's just so important. If you don't have a visual, you're blind. You know? you're yeah. Blind. 
Yeah. And if you're not taking, if you're not going to an exercise like that, if you're not going to training like that or doing that stuff and then, then kind of reworking it and replaying it and versioning it and going, okay, this wasn't great. How could I do that differently? And actually then running the visual rehearsal of doing it differently, you know, you're missing, you're missing out on some things there. I mean, I think it's, here's what I love about the EP world. And you, you talk about it really kind of in the book, right? It's the there are so many human complexities, right? And you just hit on one, right? I mean, your, your client, you know, your principal, it isn't, they are an uncontrolled entity <laughs> in that moment. And, you know, you've got to be able to train them, but you got to be on your game enough to be able to flex with them because they're not you, you know what I mean? They haven't trained to the level you've trained. They don't know. And I think all of us, it's just like, running with the new fireman, running with the new partner on the street, mm-hmm. uh, you know, different people around the situations, uh, the things you're going to run into. I think there's, you know, there's so much, that's why I wanted you to come on the show because I think there's so much to be gleaned from your book mm-hmm. by kind of the entire field, you know, a lot of these underpinning things. And then, you know, I always read a book for max value and look at what is relevant to something at a time, right? So, you know, I can pull things out of your book that are highly relevant to the fire service, highly relevant to law enforcement community, high real, you know, across the board. So there's, you know, and I think because it's, if you've never done it, if you've never done the protection work or trained in the protection work or or experienced that, that's a whole different beast. Mm -hmm. And I love it. No, it, it, is, it can be consuming. Again, it goes back to how do you balance that because you're on all the time. It depends on the detail, the principle, and where you are. Um, and, you know, one of the other elements of, of writing this book uh, was to address principles themselves. And there's mm-hmm. some times that I talk just directly to principles. That's, that's maybe something a little bit different about this book and other books. Uh, and there's some great books written, uh, you know, about executive protection from different perspectives. But mine is, again, a little bit more about the why and kind of getting a little bit more into the sweeper, if you will, with the methodology mm-hmm. aspect and all the other factors that are going on in the world around us. There's so much noise. It's so difficult to keep up with all the different, um, um, you know, threat vectors and, you know, things keep changing daily. You know, somebody asked me the other day, what's the you know, what's the toughest part about your your business? And I said, literally, it's it's going to bed at night because I don't know what I'm going to wake up to because it changes so frequently. I hate to even you, know, you pick up the cell phone, look at your your text or your emails, or flip on God forbid the news channel with breaking news. And every you know hour, there's some new threat or, or risk vector. And how do you manage that if your job is to protect people? And you know, protecting individuals physically is only one part of mm-hmm. executive protection. If that was the only, if that was a definition of EP is to save somebody's life. <laughs> it might be pretty simple, but it would right. be it would be flawed. Um, so it's reputation, it's their safety, it's falling down steps or you know, walking across the road in London with the oncoming traffic that you're not used to. Whatever that situation awareness you have to be aware of, it's constantly on. And... Um, and you have to know where those boundaries are when you talk about the human complexities. There's operational complexities of EP, and that's the hard and the soft skills and, you know, finger and trigger control and driving well and all those different things. But there's also the just the human complexities of not crossing that line of ethics with our principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are things, those are other traps that we can fall into. Um, you know, it's, you know yourself and guys in military or service, you know, padding trip invoices or, you know, falsifying expenses just to make a little extra money when you're already making good bank. It just never made sense to me why you'd risk your clearance and your job for that. But those are the things that, quite honestly, Jeff, goes into your mindset. You know, what are your principles? What are your standards that's uh, that's going into your mindset? Because if those standards and principles are not right, then, uh, you know, you're going to go in a direction you probably shouldn't go into. Yeah. If you're weak in one area, it will creep. You know what I mean? You can't, you know, to take on any of these tasks. That's why I love serving this community now and kind of doing my best to get back because like the standards and principles you hold, the the values and beliefs you have as an individual directly translate to your performance on the job, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. 100%. Like you said, if you're a guy who's, you know, maybe going to go, Hey, let me pad this a little bit, or Hey, let me get a couple extra hours out of here or, hotel expenses were a little bit different or I didn't need to provide receipts. If you're, if that's your, 
if that's a value system for you that's exactly. kind of flawed, that's going to show up when it's game time. It's I gonna promise you. Yep, yep. 100%. Yeah. 100% every time. And I think that probably gets back to the, you know, the question you have to ask yourself is what is your, your idling or your resting mindset position? Because mm -hmm. uh, I do, I think, you know, we are visually, uh, you know, we're visual individuals, at least you know, guys are. Um, and it is a dial. It's a switch. So, you know, are you mostly in a positive or negative state? Or are you fearful or, you know, you're dreadful of everything around you? Um, I often think that this is where this dial Having having that dial set in a neutral position uh, helps us to um, you know, to mind up or mind down based on the situation. Um, yeah, it's not starting too low. It's not starting too high. Going back to the color situations, but if you're somewhere between that white and yellow most of the time, especially in a in these kinds of positions as, as an EP or security guy or EMS or you know, first responder, you pretty much got to be in that white yellow all the time and. You know, unfortunately, we're seeing, you know, these episodes that are playing out in real life with, you know, what's happened at, uh, in El Paso and, and Dayton. And, you know, I could go down the list of a thousand. Well, just places. Riverside the other day, right up the street it's, from us, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. crazy. You, you've yeah. almost got to be in a, and I hate to say it, but you almost got to be in a yellow state every time you go out because uh, you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and, and then, you know, that white state is maybe when you get back home, you know, you lay your head down at night and sleep, maybe hopefully you're in a in a safe place where you can be in that white but we're having to stay a little bit more in that yellow um, more often. yeah it's game time yeah it's i mean it is the 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 situation has changed you know i mean and if and for across the board fire service ems law enforcement military the the game has changed and mm -hmm. and you've got to learn how to ebb and flow i mean watching the youtube video of the new york cops right and the guys throwing water on them and they just kind of were holding their position where they could it's like man the it, it is a it is a highly complex environment yeah. and yeah i mean and i think one of the things that i like that i would say i'd throw out there to the listening audience is listen whether whatever your role is if there's ever an opportunity for you to go train with uh executive protection teams or mm -hmm. You know, go pick up one of the courses, go, you know, I mean, the guys run classes all the time now, you know what I mean? Sure. AOPs and all that yep. stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, go do it, make a fun week out of it. Like use it as your vacation time or something, because there's so much you will glean from that. There's so much you will take away from that back to your normal everyday job. I think it'll be, you know, so highly valuable uh, just because it's a, you know, I like taking guys out of what their normal responsibilities are into a fresh environment and then doing the tie back uh, you know when I, yeah when i trained the braves and we were doing shooting and room clearing i'm like i can teach you nothing about baseball <laughs> you know? right. zero right. Right. but what i can do is teach you all the underpinning things in this context and then draw them back to your performance on the field right One, and so 100 percent, yeah and i think ep is a great place for that now I had a, uh, I remember it's been about five or six years ago as a friend of mine, she was, um, she was a manager for a large corporation on special events. And, uh, you know, they'd have these thousands, thousands of people come to special events. And they always had a lot of EP teams and security guys. And, and she would talk to me sometimes. She goes, Mike, I'm, I'm frustrated why these guys think they need access to here and they need to stand here and they want to be close here. And um, I'll just call her Linda. And I said, Linda, I'll tell you what, why don't you, let me set you up with a, a course and um, <laughs> this, this some friends of mine done in, uh, in Vegas that's been doing some training for many, many years. And uh, I said, go to their, they have a five-day course and it'll give you a little bit of an insight, um, both mentally and physically, why they're asking these things. And she's like, well, okay. And she was, uh, you know, she's in good shape. She's probably, you know, somewhere in the mid-40s or what have you and not has never been exposed to that world before. And she went through the course and came back out and she goes, holy cow, I get it. I get it now. And I now understand why. And not only did she come back and now had a better understanding and was able to communicate better with the security details and EP, she has actually done some of this work now because she likes it. So, you know, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, it's cooking or to be a chef or a mechanic. You know, if you kind of get outside your box a little bit and think a little bit differently, um, you know, as my wife often says, you know, if you, um, you know, where your mind goes, your ass will follow. Uh, yep. 
That's a very true statement. Uh, yes. But you have to you have to expose yourself to that kind of uh, training and opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know today, just in a conversation I had yesterday with a fourteen year SF guy, you know, we talked about it today. If you are not if you're not pushing yourself kind of in every area, to me, that's mental, physical, and emotional. If you're not taking it on, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not dealing with things, it impacts one of the core aspects we talked about at the beginning. To me, it, it's a direct correlation back to your ability to be in tune with the environment. You know, I talk about these four points of awareness. So it's not just situational awareness, which, you know, took hold a long time is a great buzzword. That's to me a quarter of the pile, right? So you got situational awareness. You've got environmental awareness, you've got awareness of others and awareness of self. And I call that convergence consciousness, right? That, that's that where, where everything has to converge in a moment in time for you to be present, for you to actually see what's taking place and then act accordingly. You know, you make a statement that says, while you may be in control of your decisions, you are most definitely not in control of the circumstances, right? And then the consequences that will follow. So, you know, that's recognizing that what can I control? I can control how present I am and the interpretation of information that I'm making based on things as they're happening. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. Yeah. You know, that was a lesson yeah. I learned as a, as a young child. My dad used to say that all the time. You know, you can, you can make whatever decision you want to make, but uh, you don't always get the ability to control the circumstances or the outcome. And, uh, you know, I think maybe Jeff, that's, also something we can learn and maybe teach some of our, our military people, because you may be able to tell me this more than, you know, I can talk about it, but uh, I think that leads into some of the PTSD situations we have. And it's not in all cases, but if you're not mentally, again, prepared and somewhat exposed or have thought about some of the things you may be you know, running against, and, and that could be definitely, you know, losing a limb or you know, losing a, a friend or buddy or a teammate, that that makes it hard when you when you come back to reality and i've got some you know experience in that particular area as well and it is tough uh but we have to i think maybe help train our our our, our veterans or our people in the military and even you know just you know first responders in general yeah. how to deal with some of these things before they occur mm -hmm. so we bring back less of a ptsd situation um and i think it's important again i'm not a I'm, doctor or psychologist, but I do think it's a factor. Um, it's a huge factor. I mean, how the, when you experience an event, you know, where trauma comes, you know, most trauma resides for us as human beings at the age seven or under, because if you think seven or under, everything is unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. We don't have the cognitive capacity to process what we're seeing, what we're hearing or what's happening, right? As an adult, we don't have the mental capacity there. So it lives in the body as trauma. So it is a trauma at all kinds of levels. And you don't have to sure. be beat to have that. But, and then post age seven through teen years, and then as an adult, you know, the trauma has to be significant enough and unfamiliar enough to basically revert the system back to a seven-year-old or under, you know what I mean? And so we've done a disservice for ever in the preparation of our people to step into harm's way. We haven't, we haven't given them the tools or put them in the conditions where things are physically, emotionally familiar. You know, we do great on the range, you know, draw and fire two rounds, punch holes in paper, do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago we had, uh, uh, why did I just lose his name? Uh, director of combatives at, uh, West point on, and Matt Larson, and you know, we we're talking about training at that level, right? Training in combatives versus training on the range, and the realism and the risk that you put yourself at, uh, not necessarily physically, but culturally, like in the tribe. You know what I mean? You risk your True. status when you yep. step on the mat with another human being because uh, you can't control that outcome, <laughs> you know, and you may get the shit beat out of you. Uh, and it may be okay, you know, I mean, it's, uh, uh, but that's, that's a big piece of it. And then we talked, we went on cause he's working on his, uh, doctorate, but he's psych, uh, master's in combat psychology. And he talked heavily about kind of the moral injury we deal with today coming back from places. It's like, no, if whatever you did, you did period. Yeah, right. Right. 
And it's, there's something to it because, again, my son is sort of in that, in that uh, sector as well. And, I, and I've talked to so many other veterans and, and just first responders in general. And it's interesting how some deal with it differently than others. And mm-hmm. every, situ- every situation is different. Every person is different. You know, you don't yes. know what triggers it and, you know, what they went through their, in their earlier life, like you said, and what they've been exposed to and what triggers, um, you know, various stages of PTSD. Um, but either way, you know, something I think we have to address and, you know, I do talk yeah. about that in the book as well. And even, even to the point of uh, executive protection, you know, suicide is an important part. I've, I've had to had a, have a conversation with my principal before because a, a child uh, that they had was suicidal. And, you know, yeah. sometimes you have to cross that line. Um, and it's always tough, but you know, whether it's suicide or it's drugs or whatever it may be, it's all about protecting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you have to have that conversation, but, um, you know, you know, you know, as well as I do, we just, we have too many vets today that are, uh, caught in this, um, black space. And, you know, I think the, the current number is still about basically 22 a day, uh, veterans, 22 a day commit suicide. And that's just not the young veterans. That's, that's, you know, probably 50% of that or more are, are older veterans who are just kind of struggling with getting older and, you know, not having that sense of being part of that tribe, as you mentioned. Yeah. You know, what to do with life, but uh, either way, and I and I put the number in my book as well, and I think it's important. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll you never know who's listening here, so uh, you know it's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. That's the suicide hotline. And if you're listening, or you know somebody that's having struggles with suicide, and it's a vet, uh, have them to call that number or call them for them. Um, and then when you reach an operator, tell them you're a vet. Tell them you're a veteran. Tell them proudly yeah. you're a veteran. And, uh, you know, even though if you're struggling with something that may be related to what you've experienced um, or sometimes even questioned, you know, sometimes as vets, we, we question, you know, between the military and the agency, I've seen some things I've scratched my head about and sure. uh, I took, I took the oath and, you know, you, you march and salute and you go forward. But uh, sometimes those struggles are just related to those decisions as well. But uh, any, anyway, regardless, uh, you know, what they've been through, they've been through some, you know, basic training, advanced training, you know, our, our soft operators who are usually some of the ones exposed to most of this have been through some, you know, years worth of training. You know, we've got good teammates. We've had a lot of experiences. You can get through this. Um, yeah. You just, just got to come together as a team again. Well, yeah, you got to come back to the tribe and, and be welcomed exactly. in. I mean, that's one of the things I always try to do with my guys uh, is, you know, I, 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 I play Rolodex roulette like every Friday and Sunday. Uh, and I take the contact list of my phone and I, I've got everybody grouped in and I flip through and I pick somebody and call and I go down the list. Excellent. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And it's nothing more than a, Hey, what's going on? You know, let's catch up or, you know, how's life and an opportunity just to connect uh, and be connected. You know, I mean, that's where, you know, I think we, we lose sight of that if we get out or transition or retire or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. Trauma, no trauma, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If we're if we've been removed from the tribe, it's a that's a pretty significant core uh, human emotion that that is pretty scarring at times. Yeah, one hundred percent. I remember going from the military to the agency. That transition wasn't as bad because you're back into a team environment and the camaraderie sure. and sort of raising a flag and you know, the reason for going to work every morning was pretty high. And then I went from the, the agency to a corporation and that was still not as bad of a transition because I was actually, we had a lot of people in our team that were former agency and guys that I'd worked with in the past. And that was great. It was like coming back home. And then when I went to the, uh, another corporation, private sector, a little bit different, but I was still around members of the tribe. So my transition was actually pretty decent. But if I had to go from the military uh, to an EP family team somewhere, I would be a bull in a china shop without a doubt. And we see some of that. I mean, yeah. Jeff, it's, it just is. And I don't, I don't mean to take away from the skill sets and experiences some of these guys have. And, and God bless them. They're great. But they're, you're not in that AO. You've got to come back to sort of what the current state of, of, of risk is and threat and the vulnerability aspect of things. And, you know, the two of the factors we often leave out of a threat assessment is what's the likelihood and what's the consequences. Mm-hmm. And when you begin to put all of that together, and you might be able to take a deep breath and go, okay, you know, uh, an attack's not going to happen, you know, right now, or the likelihood of it is, is low. I remember coming out of Germany, you know, literally I was running, driving, you know, a six, 7,000 pound, uh, you know, uh, 
armored vehicle and on Audubon. And at that time, speed was a, an element that we thought was important because the Harehausen attack had occurred. And right. That was, a, that was a wake up call for all of us. And we're like, holy crap, we better drive fast in case there's an explosion so we can get you know, through it. Maybe we'll get off the X faster. Um, so now we're driving at speeds that, you know, I'm ashamed to say, but 90 to 100 and 110 miles an hour in an Audubon in a motorcade. Yeah. Um, and that was just part of the methodology at that time based on the threat. Um, definitely, I think the wrong methodology, but we did that. So now I come back to the States and I'm used to driving 100 miles an hour and checking under my car <laughs> all the time right. with a mirror, yeah. you yeah. know, looking looking in my rearview mirror and just follow me. And, you know, sometimes those two guys behind you with sunglasses in a car are just going the same direction. Yeah, um, just two guys with sunglasses in a car. Absolutely, it's just it's hard. So, uh, but you know, I think a lot of our guys, you know, men and women, have come out of the you know the AOs in the last call it twenty years, and they've had a difficult yeah. time making a transition. And you know, I do uh, ask a lot of our guys that are in that leadership role, who's who's been there and done that, to help those people in those transitions because it's not easy and it's not automatic. And um, we well, no, and it is a biological. Them. It is a biological issue. It is. You are so tuned to be on. I mean, I remember when I was traveling and when I'd ran the programs in Iraq, when I come home, they were building the new section of the community across the road. And I'd be out washing the car doing something. And one of the dump trucks would slam, right? The tailgate, they dump their load and it would just wham, slam. And literally, I, mean, I could feel it all in my body. It was like, what? Uh, you know, although I think I'm calm and cool and relaxed and everything else, it's still right there. So those things, I mean, it is a, it is a wiring issue and you've got to, you know, understand I had, uh, Andy Clark on and she talked about training the, you know, the vagal nerve, retraining our rest and restore capacity that we don't do that enough. So it doesn't know what to do or when to turn on. That's why we don't sleep well. That's why we've got sleep apnea. That's why we're always on edge. It's why my wife walks around going, can you pull the stick out of your ass? Uh, you know, <laughs> can you just relax for a minute? You don't have anything to worry about right now. I get yeah. My wife, my wife calls me her, her German shepherd. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that kind of goes for all of us. And so that's this. But I, I you know, I think that I think that's why there's I, one. I enjoyed reading the book because I feel like there's there's real glimpses into the ebb and flow of life and you know the executive protection world if you're not if you don't master that skill set you know you're going to burn out fast and sure. furious you know if you can't figure out how to ebb and flow and even though the world's crazy you know there's still a way and a method to make a priority whether i'm you know, in the firehouse or whether I'm running an ambulance or whether I'm on the streets in a patrol car or whether I'm going to combat or whatever it is, there's still ways to ebb and flow. And, sure. you know, I used to, when we were in Iraq, yeah, I'd sit at breakfast in the morning with all the GRS guys hanging out. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was my downtime because I'm like, okay, all the goons are hanging around me right now. I can actually relax and have a cup of coffee. <laughs> you probably have a good laugh too. Yeah, I will absolutely. Yeah, hang out. Yeah, yeah, you're hanging out with the fellas is what you're doing. Uh, yeah, it's the, always, the sense of humor of that group is, uh, you know, I, I can't go there obviously on air, but it's uh, it's pretty brutal. It is. Uh, it is a. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I got, they gave me the keys to a 790i or whatever it was, brand new BMW, fully up armored, brand new, and I had never been in a push button start car before. And I walk out and I'm like looking for where to insert the key <laughs> to go back into the team room and go. All right, oh, I'm the asshole. How do you start the I'm car? I'm sure you dreaded that. <laughs> oh, dude, I paced up and I looked. I spent an hour trying to figure out how to start that car. <laughs> and then you I was to, like, "You cannot show any weakness to these guys. None, they will eat, they will eat your lunch for life." Yes, yes, and of course, you know they 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 took pity on me. One of the guys goes, "Yeah, come on." Uh, <laughs> you know, but. What are you going to do? I mean, that's just, I was like, how do you fucking start this thing or whatever? And I had the keys outside or something, you know what I mean? Like I tried every configuration and I was an asshole. I was, I was, I was a dumbass. I mean, you know, we all have moments in life. That was a clear moment that then was reminded, right? I had that moment reminded of me multiple times for the next year. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, a lot of these things that you're talking about, we're talking about here, um, you know, again, it, it kind of reminds me of a, of a comment that a good friend of mine, uh, Dale, I'll use his name. He's a former British Royal Marine, but he has a quote that he always says. And 
it's um, something along the line of doing it wrong and getting away with it doesn't make it right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's another true, you know, phrase, if you will, in our mindset sometimes. Uh, just because we've gotten away with it for a long time, it doesn't mean it's right or it's, it's the right thing to do. And, and whether it goes back to the human complexities of EP because of what we're exposed to and, um, you know, making making good decisions, whether it's tactically or, or just, um, you know, life decisions, um, you know, doing it wrong and getting away with it doesn't make it right. So sometimes that's an internal switch that you have to flip it, or sometimes you have to be willing to listen to somebody challenge you on this uh, to maybe make an adjustment. But um yeah, one of the one of the biggest things you can do. I, we talked about this, I've, uh, and we've got you know a couple of things coming up. But uh, talk about humility, right, mm -hmm, and sure. vulnerability, and those things. And those are the those are some of your best gateways to performing at the top of your game, right? Humbling Absolutely. yourself in in ways at every moment. I don't care if you're a thirty year guy or a two year guy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Being willing to humble yourself. Uh, is such a tremendous opportunity to grow right you know and right. learn and take away from yeah right and one of the things we talked about i think the very beginning of this that uh just wanted to kind of make sure we do include is that the uh and you made mention of it that the mindset that you enter a mission with is you know should not be the same mindset you return home with and i think that's mm -hmm. another important one that again it kind of goes back to the transitioning but even after you transition and i know a lot of guys that just you know, men and women who struggle with coming home with that same mindset that you that you left with, whether it's before you went to an eight hour, or 12 hour shift of work or you went away for a few weeks uh, uh, deployed. There's two different mindsets and you've got to be able to flip that switch to the homecoming mindset to deal mm -hmm. with, you know, family, spouses and children. Uh, and I think that's part of the, you know, if we could, Jeff, I think that's somewhere in the industry and in our in our our tribe environments that we could help individuals uh, understand that coming home mindset. Um, you know, sometimes it can take hours or days uh, to leave a particular mindset or space behind and you know, yeah. kind of re-enter re that family space. Um, not everybody does it well and I'm still working on it myself. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a permanent freaking work in progress. Yeah. I mean, I used to take three days in DC coming back because we had to be there anyway. And right. you know, I would put myself up at the Sheridan in Tyson's, right? And yep, yep. Uh, take three days and sure. just quiet and relax and re try to reset the system and try to come down from whatever we had done, you know, and it's, it, it becomes about transitions. And we've had, you know, mm -hmm. multiple people on the show. We talk about how do you transition from one moment to the next? And I, but also you say something that I like that kind of, to me, goes hand in hand with that is. They, you know, you say that the difference between a good day and a bad day can really just be your attitude as well. Well, uh, my son, my son knows that very well because I, <laughs> I you know, said, said so much. I, I can't even tell you how many times I was, uh, you know, <laughs> called back home when my son was uh, having some rough times. Because unfortunately, we made a transition from from Texas to Virginia about the time he was nine, ten, then mm. a couple of years later, nine eleven happens, and I'm gone a lot. Yeah. And, uh, constantly getting a phone call from mom going you got to deal with him um but he was just in a in a bad place so that was a comment that i would constantly say to him i'd come home and we go take a long walk and you know he's heard that comment so many times you know definitely you know the, what is it he's, wa he's walking around right now somewhere going you know my dad always said the difference between a good day and a bad attitude is my attitude <laughs> oh for sure 100 percent uh but uh, but it is true, you know. As we just said, attitude is a big part of this, and yeah. uh, that is that is a difference. Well, yeah, and attitude relates back to you know your perception, how you see things, how you see the world. I mean, because we all experience things completely differently, and you know, I mean, what may not even ruffle my feathers, you know, may get a complete and total rise out of you, and so that's that is a very, very you know, kind of stake in the ground statement. Because you can look back and reflect back and be like, okay, well, you know, shit happens and yeah, it sucked and yeah, it's over and I'm going home or I'm transitioning, you know, whatever's in front of me is not what is behind me, right? I don't right, have right. to, I don't have to carry that into this. And so, and that is a, you know, that's a big action step, right? That takes something that's easier said than done minute by minute. 
Definitely, it's a choice. Um, and, and sometimes I think there's nothing better in life than sort of a self-administered attitude adjustment. Uh, I'd rather do it myself <laughs> and have somebody to do it for me or, you know, uh, regardless of who it may be, whether it's the law or it's my wife or my boss, I'd rather yeah. make my own uh, attitude adjustment. But, uh, uh, but no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Michael, listen, one, I really enjoyed the book. I think there's so much value in it, uh, especially for our listening audience. I think it's, uh, I think it's a unique look. Uh, I think it's not, you know, it's, it's not your standard, um, been there, done it kind of deal. I think you really did a great job and I know you put a lot of work into, uh, creating it the way you did. So I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for sending me a copy. It's, uh, it will stay on the shelf from this moment forward uh, and be pulled off and handed to people. Be like, okay, <laughs> here you go. Because uh, I think it does become a unique look into something that is uh, that you can extract so much from. So I, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a busy schedule. Uh, you're, you're definitely an in-demand person. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today, have this conversation. I think the audience has probably gotten a lot from it. I hope they have. If they haven't, go back and listen to it again. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, but no, I really appreciate it. And thanks for all your service. Thanks for your contribution to this country and uh, to the people you've protected over the years. I really appreciate it. Likewise, Jeff, you, you have as well. Thank you for your service as well. And uh, it's um, you know, it was a six-year labor of love, and um, I, I do hope that it's around for a while and it does help people uh it's it's written with a different perspective uh so i do you know hope people get something out of it um and i you know part of the you know what we just discussed here and what i tried to leave uh, in the book if you will uh is you know, one of the individuals individuals my favorite individuals i like to read about um probably because he represents a lot of what we just talked about and a, a person who had a uh, an unwavering sense of commitment and determination displayed a, an impressive mindset for so many different situations. And that was Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, but one of his quotes that I firmly believe in is that believe you can, and you're halfway there. And I, I think that's kind of, if you could wrap up what we just talked about, that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I enjoyed it, Jeff, very much. I'd like to do this again and you know, maybe we'll get a couple other people on together because there's not just one way to, to get the right mindset and to prepare for, you know. No, absolutely. Right I, yeah. And I want to bring you back on. I'd love to bring you back on, especially on the new Friday episodes where we do a rap session. We take the topic of the week and uh, get together. And then we look at, you know, how it actually played out in our careers and our operations and what we did. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'd love to invite you back for that. I think it would be a great conversation to have uh, depending upon the topic and what it is. And, you know, we'll go at it. So. Uh, I really appreciate it. Listen, I will make sure that all the show notes are up on opmindset.com backslash mindset radio. Uh, all of Michael's links, links to the book and how to access him and access uh, his stuff will all be up there or to find him on social media, all that good stuff that I know Michael loves to do today. <laughs> Not so much. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But all that'll be up there, your bio, uh, and then really some of the key takeaways from today and some of the things that you've shared and that we've talked about will all be available up on the show notes. So make sure you stop by and check them out. Mike, thanks so much. We're going to tune out. That wraps up our Wednesday episode. Tune in Friday. I've got a few cool guests coming on. We're going to talk about our conversation today and this week's topic awareness and look at how that is uber relevant every day to every one of our jobs. Thanks for tuning in. That's Mindset Radio, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, that wraps up our show for today. Thanks so much again for giving me your time and attention. I greatly appreciate it. Listen, if you got something from today's episode, if you heard one little piece that can benefit you or benefit those around you, do me a favor, do yourself a favor, do somebody else a favor and share this episode out introduce them to mindset radio bring them into the fold get them listening get them learning and get them performing at a whole new level don't forget swing by and check us out you can follow us on instagram at mindset radio i'm personally at mindset 06 actual if you want to follow me head on over to facebook facebook.com backslash mindset radio and 
hop into our Mindset Radio group. We're going to start having a little bit more deeper conversations, some behind-the-scenes stuff, some extra talks while we're there, and really enjoy it. Last but not least, two quick requests. Subscribe to the podcast and do me a favor. Rate and review us. Now, see, the review part is pretty important because people look through, right? People want to look and see whether or not this is worth listening to. If you think it is, do me a favor, write us a note. So, listen, we're out for this Monday. We're back Wednesday with a phenomenal guest, Mike Trot. It's going to be a good episode. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're listening. Be safe out there. Thanks again.